0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime
1: Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host, Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, this is in fact not just another episode. It is our 100th. So congratulations to us. Uh, Added together with our HBO podcast, I believe that's 380 or so episodes of podcasting we've cranked out together over the past six and a half years or so. um, You know, with just a little bit more practice, we may just start getting the hang of it.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, my my goal all along has been to qualify as competent by episode <laughs> 1000. <laughs> and I think we're right on pace, I would say. <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, the first 100 at Showtime have been a pleasure. Thanks to Brian Daly and the whole team for their support. Thanks to Showtime for continuing to televise boxing, unlike some people we've podcasted for in the past. Uh, so anyway, Showtime Boxing Podcast hits
1: 100 episodes. Uh, well done us. Indeed. Uh, And of course, it is relatively easy to run up the episode count uh, when we churn them out the way we're doing this week. Uh, Yeah, this is the third podcast of the week as we continue our look at this Saturday's pay-per-view extravaganza featuring two separate but connected cards, each headlined by one of the Charlo twins. Uh, Shortly, we will be joined by our Showtime colleague, Raul Marquez. Uh, But before we dive into analyzing the fights that are on tap in the second part of this pay-per-view, Eric, it's probably worth taking a little bit of a time um, to sort of take that view from 30,000 feet, if you will. uh, In And we've touched on this before, You know, when we were talking with Steven Espinoza when he first announced it and with Al Bernstein uh, a couple of weeks ago. But there's something to be said about the fact that this is a really unique situation. It is the first time, certainly that I could think of, that we have effectively two cards for the price of one, as it were, on Saturday night.
2: Yeah. Look, the the whole pay-per-view thing is very tricky in the time of COVID. Uh, You know, Steven actually mentioned this, I believe, on that same podcast when we had him on or I guess it was the previous time we had him on just as the pandemic was beginning. Uh, He was talking about how you expect some boxing fans are struggling financially. uh, And it's not a good time to ask them to spend pay-per-view dollars. And those pay-per-view parties that you used to be able to have, you know, a dozen friends come over, everybody chips in five bucks. That's a health hazard in 2020. So there's a real challenge here to offering a pay-per-view. You have to think about your audience and maybe think about ways to give them value that are different from the usual. The typical pay-per-view, you know, let's look at the the last pay-per-view before the COVID shutdown began. February 22nd, this was fairly typical of how pay-per-view usually works. You had a huge main event, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder II, big names, established stars, heavyweights, just a classic pay-per-view headliner. And then the undercard was Prince Charles Martin versus Gerald Washington, Sebastian. I'm sure it was. I tried to forget about that. <laughs> well, I'm here to remind you. Uh, Sebastian Fundora versus Daniel Lewis and Emmanuel Navarrete versus Geo Santissima. So basically, one fighter you really wanted to see, but he's in a mismatch. Uh, a showbox type fight with Fundora and a heavyweight fight nobody on the planet has any interest in. That, unfortunately, is what most pay per view cards look like. Not all, but most. The, the main event sells it. The promoter fills out the rest of the card with leftovers and and fighters who won't eat into his budget much. Contrast that with this Saturday. You don't have a superstar or a heavyweight champion headlining. So what Espinoza and his team did was go the two-for-one route. And Raul Marquez hit on this yesterday, how the Charlos have this unique hook of being able to package them together. That's what distinguishes them. You're not trying to build a pay-per-view around Jamal Charlo yet. You're not trying to build a pay-per-view around Jermel Charlo yet. You're building it around the twins together, and they're both in legitimately dangerous fights against fellow top five fighters in their divisions. And then you fill out the card with four undercard fights, all featuring world-class fighters between 118 and 122 pounds. So it's six fights instead of the usual four it's two main events instead of the usual one. Uh, The semantics bother me a little there since they both can't be main. But uh, if you view it as two separate cards, I guess they can. Um, And in the end, instead of a card where you say, well, the main event had better be great because nothing else on this card holds much promise. Here, it's closer to a guarantee of entertainment. You figure it's, almost certain that two or three out of six fights will be really good. Maybe we'll get lucky and it's four or five excellent fights out of six, but either way, it's a lot of quality at bats instead of getting one chance at the plate and needing a home run. It's a very different and very smart approach to pay-per-view that might not attract the casual fan, but is almost everything a hardcore fan could ask for. And I'm sure I will be accused of kissing the boss's ass here, but uh, whatever the outcome of the fights... I really admire the ingenuity and the value that Stephen is aiming to provide on Saturday.
1: Yeah, agreed.
2: All right, let's take some time now. Uh, I'll take a, a deep breath and stop, uh, stop uh, kissing butt and, uh, and uh, <laughs> sounding like a shill. Although those are my honest opinions. It just happened to overlap with what a, what a shill might say. Let's uh, let's take some time to, uh, <laughs> to drill down now on the second main event of the card and the de facto main event of the entire broadcast, Jermell Charlo versus Jason Rosario. This is a unification of junior middleweight belts, uh, but of greater significance is the fact that the winner will really stand alone as the true champion in a 154-pound division that is stocked with high-quality fighters. Uh, the Ring magazine has these two ranked number one and number two. The vacant championship goes to the winner, and let's just imagine for a moment that that winner is Charlo.
0: Now streaming on Paramount+. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? What's Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+.
2: We talked the other day about how, although an Erickson lubin rematch looks to be mandated by an Alphabet group to happen next, some of the enthusiasm for that will have been diminished by the lackluster nature of Lubin's win over Terrell Gachet. So where would victory leave Charlo? Would he fully separate himself from a crowded field? Would he now be at a different level where he could ignore mandatories or rematches against people he's already beaten, like Lubin or Tony Harrison, and start looking at, say, somebody like an Errol Spence? In other words, does he become one of boxing's true
1: stars with the accompanying star power with a win? So whether he'd actually end up ever fighting Errol Spence is a conversation for a different time and and probably not something either man would necessarily jump at, given that they're buddies and they both train in Dallas with Derek James, but we've seen that kind of thing happen before, you know, friends say, ah, screw it, there's a lot of money. Yeah. Let's make some money together. It's not unheard of. But, you know, hey, we've had Derek on the podcast before. Uh, and, of course, if we have him on again, and I know we'd love to, uh, that's definitely a question to pose to him <laughs> yeah. if Jamel wins this fight. Um, but that wasn't really the question. It wasn't about Spence specifically. Um, so, first of all, would a win here elevate him above the rest of the division? Um, and, and I think it's just worth underlying, underlining here something that we've talked about before, the way in which... It seems almost anyone in the 154 pound division can on a given day beat just about everyone else. And there's this great like little sequence here that I just think is really worth sort of highlighting that, you know, that shows it all right. So you have Jarrett Hurd beat Tony Harrison. Julian Williams beat Jarrett Hurd. Jason Rosario beat Julian Williams. Nathaniel Gallimore beat Jason Rosario. (laughs) Erickson Lubin beat Nathaniel Gallimore. Jamel Charlo beat Erickson Lubin. And right back to the beginning, Tony Harrison beat Jamel <laughs> Charlo. Um, but all of that said, you know, I do think that a clear Charlo win separates him from the pack, partly because he's avenged that one loss. and And I think, you know, also, if he does win on Saturday, he will, in addition to Harrison— uh, who remains a, a very significant player in the division, have dispensed with two very talented rivals in, in both Lubin and, and Rosario. For what it is worth, he will also have most of the belts in that division. Um, and so, yeah, he, he will I think he will stand at the top. He will be seen as the man. Um, and as we discussed on Monday, and as, as you just mentioned, Lubin doesn't feel as if he's done enough since that first round stoppage to earn a rematch or be considered a real threat if they do me again. But, you know, let's say for argument's sake that he does rematch him just to get rid of that obligation and, and he does beat him again, then, then I think he really is in the position where... You know, unless he decides that he feels he has to take mandatories to keep his belts, he can just sit back a little and force the others to eliminate each other. You know, as we've seen, they they fight each other. They have fought each other. They can all beat each other. He can sit back and mm. let them have their little hunger games uh, and, and find, you know, who uh, is the appropriate challenger for him. So I do think that puts him in the catbird seat there. Does it make him a star? That's a relative term. But. To get back to the point that you just brought up that, that Raul talked about yesterday, it, you, you do see what I was talking about, about how his star wattage is enhanced by being one half of a dominant twin tag team, don't you? Yeah. It, it's Jamal wins also, you know? So if Jamal stands atop 160 after Saturday night and Jamal 154, they're in a quite unique position, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unique almost in history, really, where they can... They've each got a division and they can dare all comers to come to Houston, you know, and try to knock them off. And and I do think that given that they are charismatic, intelligent men with, with really pleasing fighting styles, they do have what it takes to make quite a name for themselves. Look, they're 30 now. It's not like they have all the time in the world. But they do potentially, if they get through this, put themselves in a position where they have that window to get some fame, to get some money. And I think also, particularly in the case of Jamel you know, with, with who he's fought already, it's when they can start thinking about, okay, now maybe we've got a few years to make sure that we put together a career that winds up in Canistota. So I do think one doesn't want to put too much on one fight, but it does feel as if Saturday night for both men, um, is an opportunity for them to sort of take that big next step. Absolutely. Um, But as we discussed yesterday, there's a massive caveat with Jamal, and he has to get past Sergei Derevyanchenko, and Jamal has to get past Jason Rosario. It would upset the narrative that we've just talked about, but it wouldn't necessarily be a huge upset per se if the Charlos ended up going 0-2. So what of Rosario? You know, with everything that we've just talked about in terms of, you know, Charlo, where he would be in the division, you know, stardom and so forth. Can the same be said for Jason Rosario in terms of stardom if he wins, particularly coming off the back of that win over J-Rock Williams? Um, our buddy Stephen Bredman Edwards, who at the time was training J-Rock, has said, quote, Rosario is a good fighter, but I'm not so sure he's as good as Julian made him look. Um, is that just slightly sour grapes? given that, as he explained to us the other week, Redman is no longer training J-Rock, or do you think that's an accurate assessment? Well, to answer quickly
2: the first question of whether Rosario makes that leap to star, who, who gets to call all the shots and possibly make mega fights if he wins, the answer is probably no. If he mm. wins, he's the champ, but he hasn't fully separated himself. I think a rematch with Jermell is almost certainly what would come right. next if he wins. As for assessing Rosario, I think Breadman is right. I think he was being honest. Rosario is good, but probably not as good as he looked against J-Rock. He can punch. He has real power. uh, And and he landed big shots on J-Rock and took him Mm -hmm. out. But Jermell Charlo did the same. Uh, These are the two guys who beat Williams, and they both stopped him in the fifth round. So maybe J-Rock just doesn't have the greatest chin. That Mm -hmm. said... Rosario has been on a heck of a run since his one loss to Nathaniel Gallimore, as you mentioned. Uh, That was in 2017. In the last three and a half years, he's 8 0 1. He beat J Rock, of course. He beat Justin DeLoach, who was 17 2, Jamonte Clark, who was 13 0, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, who was 16 1, Mark Hernandez, who was 13 1 1, and Jorge Cota, who was 28 2. That's a lot of good wins over good Mm. fighters. That's also a lot of good wins over fighters who are most definitely not on Jermel Charlo's level. So that's the big question here. Rosario is good. He can punch. He's fast. He's well-schooled. But is he going to be outgunned against Charlo? That's what we're tuning in to see. I think you could look at this fight and say, everything Jason Rosario can do, Jermel Charlo can do better. Mm-hmm. But you can also look at it and say, hey, Charlo got upset by Tony Harrison. He's vulnerable. And Rosario is a guy who can catch you. I think like there's no question who the favorite is, but I also think Rosario is the definition of a dangerous underdog, as he proved against J-Rock, when some sportsbooks apparently had him at 30 to one. You're you're not getting numbers like that here. Uh, He's plus 270 at drafting sportsbook, which makes him 2.7 to one. And that sounds to me like a clear underdog, but a very live underdog. Mm. All right, let's move on to the co-main, which sees the return of Daniel Roman, who brings a record of 27-3-1 into his matchup with Juan Carlos Payano. Until losing last time out to Mirajan Akhmadaliev, Roman was on a 26-fight unbeaten streak, including against some really strong opposition. His last eight opponents had a combined record of 134-2-3. Uh, And he didn't fall that far short against Akhmedaliev. Really close fight. He is one of the more underrated fighters around right now. Uh, Kieran, should a good win over Payano, if he can get it, earn him a rematch with Akhmedaliev?
1: Yeah, you know, Roman is really a terrific fighter. Uh, he's been in back-to-back Fight of the Year contenders, you know, against Ahmed Aliyev, which, as you said, he he only just lost, mm-hmm. uh, and TJ Doherny, uh, which he won. Uh, you you mentioned that the cumulative total of his last eight opponents, um, as you just did with Rosario, it's worth briefly breaking down the records. Ahmed Aliyev has only lost... Uh, in that sequence was eight and zero. dohany was twenty one and zero. Gavin McDonnell was twenty wins, one loss, two draws. Moises Flores twenty five and zero. Rio Matsumoto twenty one and one. Shun Kubo twelve and zero. Adam Lopez 16 and one. Marlon Olea, twelve and zero. I mean that's strong, and it's also yeah. worth noting that he fought Matsumoto and Kubo uh, in in their hometown in Tokyo. Um, it's odd that to me it feels like he has been a wee bit under the radar until lately. I'm certainly a bit culpable of that myself. I don't know that I really sat up and paid attention to him until the Dohny fight. Um, It was the Akhmadaliev fight, even though he lost, that really made me a fan. And and that's partly because, as I have not been shy in expressing, I am a total, as the kids say, Akhmadaliev stan. Um, You know, and when we we previewed that fight, we knew it was going to be a test, right, for Akhmadaliev. We knew it would answer a lot of questions. But I don't think I was necessarily expecting... Roman, you know, I thought he'd bring the experience. I thought he'd challenge Akhmad I'm not sure I expected him to go basically even up with him, which is pretty much what he did. Right. Um, and I've been thinking about it a little, and I wonder if maybe one reason he's gone a smidgen underappreciated, um, It's that he's not necessarily he doesn't have that one thing that leaps out at you that he does better than anyone else. Right. He doesn't have the superb ring generalship. He doesn't have the fastest hands. He doesn't have the hardest punch. He's just extremely good at all of those things. Um, He doesn't knock out people early. In, In fact, his last nine fights have all gone eight rounds or longer. What he does is he grinds people down. He just doesn't go away. He never takes a step back. He just keeps at it he matches opponents punch for punch for punch he must be just an absolute nightmare to fight um which you know gets us back to a question you know if he gets past payano who, sh- who could or should he fight i think a rematch with medallia cbs wednesday
2: we have so many cool diverse people from different backgrounds different beliefs different upbringings and it just keeps growing
0: of the united states
1: i'm a hustler i'm a big taylor swift fan i'm the queen of the tribe I'm a i am playing whatever role i gotta play i'm gonna play this game for speed
2: i ain't going down like no punk <laughs> a new survivor wednesday on cbs and streaming on paramount plus
1: who holds you know two of the alphabet belts is definitely an option um ray vargas is another one in that division but his fighting style doesn't really you know sort of sort of lend itself to to excitement and and this kind of matchup I think right Angelo Leo or rather the winner of Leo Stephen Fulton would be tremendous fun Mm -hmm. with a Daniel Roman um and of course there are a couple possibilities on this card uh Brandon Figueroa who we talked about yesterday would be interesting although if I'm Figueroa even if I win handily on Saturday I probably avoid Daniel Roman like the plague at least for now um And there's another possibility, another non-title holder at 122, who's just moved up to 122, who fights right before Roman, who might be an interesting matchup. But he's an interesting figure who comes with some baggage. Um, And I'm talking about Luis Neri, who takes on Aaron Alameda in the opener of part two of the broadcast. Neri is the favorite and the A-side, but it's a bit of a challenge to warm up to him. Um, He's missed weight a couple of times, as we talked about before. There have been rumors floating around about PEDs, as Bradman mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And as we've also talked about before, he's in fact actually banned from fighting in Japan. What do you make of Luis Neri? And now that he's moved up to 122 pounds, do you think his weight issues are going to be behind him?
2: Um, first, I'll just say that I, I like this fight a lot. Uh, Alameda is, is talking a good game. Um, he's unproven, but... Mm. He seems to have confidence and the right attitude. He's a Southpaw like Neri. He's in his prime at 27. Really good body puncher. He might make this interesting. Uh, That said, Neri is the A-side. He's the guy you asked me about. And he's a first-rate talent, and he's just hitting his prime at 25. He has an 11-fight knockout streak going. And against some good fighters, Payano, Mm -hmm. McJoe Arroyo, Shinsuke Yamanaka twice. He's a badass. Um, But. As you said, he's missed weight repeatedly, and uh, you just mentioned what Breadman was hinting at, the somewhat nebulous PED issue. We don't have any clarity on that, but there's at least some smoke there, if not fire. Without really knowing anything about his personality, something about this guy reminds me of someone we spent a lot of time with earlier this year, in a sense, Carlos Monzo, right? Hmm. Uh, Like He's a talent. He's a badass fighter. Now, maybe Neri is the d- nicest guy in the world, but he looks like someone you wouldn't want to meet in a dark yeah. alley, and he might just have some demons. Certainly, he has some discipline issues, uh, but I'll say this. I love watching him fight. Of the eight undercard fighters on Saturday, Neri is the guy people are most likely to come away buzzing about, I would say. Uh, and by the way, he's trained by Eddie Renoso now, one of the best trainers in the world. I would fully expect Neri to make weight this time. And uh, hopefully we will see the best of him on Saturday.
1: Nice. Um, Well, that's certainly what we think uh, about this part of the pay-per-view card. And now to help us uh, take a look at the uh, second main event of this pay-per-view card. uh, For the third time this week, we are thrilled to be joined uh, by our colleague and our friend, Showtime boxing analyst, former Olympian, and junior middleweight titlist Raul Marquez. Raul, welcome back. Thanks for joining us yet again.
0: Thank you, guys. Uh, great to be back on.
2: Yeah, we're so glad to have you on again. Uh, so let's fast forward a few days. It's it's Saturday night. We're at Mohegan Sun. Uh, and uh, we are at the halftime point of the pay-per-view. You, you've already commentated on one full-length three-fight card. And you have a half-hour break before another full-length card starts. How do you imagine you'll be feeling? And uh, given the preponderance of middle-aged males ringside, are you anticipating a (laughs) mad commentary team dash for the bathrooms?
0: Well, uh, it all depends on how long the fights go. We might have some uh, quick knockouts and fights that go fast, but hey, we got fights that go the distance. Then uh, we're going to have a problem with it. We we're going to be rushing to the to the restroom. (laughs) There'll be a line there. Right. (laughs) I'll be fighting without Burns. (laughs) Auto. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was gonna say
2: you are you are a little younger than than some of those guys, Al, Steve. You you do you do you feel like you're uh, you have the ability to to hold it a little longer than some of those other guys, maybe?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, yes, I do. I never so far I've never had. Thank God, I have never had the problem that you know when I'm covering a fight, and I have to uh, you know go to the restroom. So far, that's never happened, and uh, you know I'm, maybe it'll happen one day. Maybe this might be the one. You're gonna jinx me. That this, <laughs> next Saturday it might be the one. And uh, and we'll be talking about it if it happens.
1: Okay. <laughs> if there is a rush, my money's on you in a foot race. Yes. So I I think oh, you're the sure. first.
0: I'm, hey, I'm the only one that's in shape, guys. Come
1: on. <laughs> you think you think
0: Mauro's in shape? You think Mauro Ronaldo's in shape? <laughs> 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 and I um, about Brian. Cus- Brian Cus- yeah, Custer's Cus- in right? shape.
1: Yeah, he is. is. in shape yeah duh, duh. <laughs> um, all right look Jamal and Jamal have fought together on the same card plenty of times. I think this is the eighth time that they'll have been on the same card. But when Jermel suffered his lone professional defeat to Tony Harrison in in December 2018, Jamal was up next, and he kind of labored to a win in his fight. And he admitted to us on the podcast that he was really distracted by what had happened to his brother when he got into the ring. Is that a risk again here on Saturday night? And if you were advising them, would you rather they fought on separate cards just to avoid that risk? No,
0: no, because, I mean, obviously, you know, they, they, they they. you know, they, they separate when they're in camp. I don't know if you heard them talk, but I, <laughs> I, I, I talked to, you know, I'm I'm really close to Derek James and I'm close to uh, Ronnie Shields, you know, Derek, Derek James been there, by the way, me and Derek James, we won the, the 1987, I don't know if I told you the, the story, and we won the 1987 national Junior Olympics together. So wow. that's how we go way, way back. Okay. And of course, Ronnie, you know, he he trained me a couple of fights when I was in my career. So, no, they, I, I feel they each do their own thing, you know, and uh, and like I said, uh, promotion-wise, they both need each other. They're promoted yeah. as the twin brothers. I feel that they need each other, and they need to be always, especially now, you know, that they're fighting high-caliber fights, uh, you know, bigger names, or you know, they're they're ready to uh, maybe step it up to become like not just regular champions, but maybe superstars, you know, uh, bigger super, you know, because of twins and you know they're on pay-per-view. They, they need to be together. They need to, fight. they need to be um, fighting in the same card.
2: So so we, we talked yesterday about uh, the challenge that Jamal is facing in Derevianchenko, But really, both brothers are, are in tough. Jermel is in, in a really challenging fight here with Rosario, who uh, recently upset J-Rock Williams. Of the two Charlos, I'll put you on the spot here, Raul, which one is at the most risk? Which, which of the, the twin brothers uh, has the higher chance of
0: getting upset, in your view? In my view, I think, uh, I think Jermall, Jermall who's fighting mm-hmm. Derevyanchenko, I think he's, uh, he's at higher risk, uh, of, of losing because, uh, you know, we, we know the experience that he has, you know, the, the amateur background and those fights with, uh, Triple G and Danny Jacobs, uh, you know, could have gone either way in my opinion. And uh, he, he, you know, he gained a lot of experience from those fights. You know, they're 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 more big fights, the atmosphere and all that. And I feel like Jamal has not been in that kind of environment. And uh, and I and I don't think Jamal has fought anybody like Devin Tencel. So yeah, I feel that he's 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 at. I'm not saying he's gonna lose, you know, but he's he's a bigger risk of both brothers in my opinion. Okay
2: but in ter- so focusing on on Rosario and and the threat that he brings uh-huh. against Jermel, what what would you say stands out about him i mean he he upset uh, J He didn't didn't see that coming is is this a guy who's a, a dangerous puncher that Jermel needs to be prepared for a specific mode of attack that
0: that Rosario could bring at him uh, absolutely but, you know first let me tell you man i love this weight division 154 i mean i used to fight at 154 but this this weight division is i mean you you got the you know the best fighters find the best fighters and it's a division with a lot of a lot lot of talent you know at at one point at one point i thought jared Hurd was probably the guy to beat at 154 and then he gets beat by (laughs) j-rock and then and then you got rosario that knocks out j-rock so it's like man they play musical chairs here now your is fine uh jason rosario uh, Jay, I mean, Jason Vizor. He's, he, you know, he's a strong puncher. You know, he's aggressive. He's got a good chin. He's got a good body attack. Uh, I think, you know, what what comes with him that that Jamel needs to be aware of is his power. His power. Technical wise, you know, just ability wise, uh, uh, everything, speed. I think jermel has him on that. Uh, you know, he just has to be smart and and not get caught by any of the bombs that. That Jason Rosario, you know, because he's, he's a he's a knockout guy and he's in shape. He's got a lot of heart and he's hungry. That's what I see in that time. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. If Jamel does win, I mean, like you said, this division's really close. Everybody can beat everybody else, it seems. Um, but if he does win, he pretty much he he's the clear top dog in the division, right? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And then you know he, he'll have uh, Erickson Lubin, who we saw uh beat uh Gautier, you know that's oh. it that'll be his mm-hmm. mandatory uh, but yeah absolutely i think i think if he uh goes out there and takes care of business with uh, rosario uh he he will definitely be the the lead he'll be the top dog in, in that way division for sure mm-hmm. in my opinion
1: all right hey look raul thank you for joining us all week it's been really good of you to come on and, and give us your insight uh it's been much appreciated Best of luck with traveling back over to the Mohegan Sun and being back in in isolation there and and all the best for a, a long and hopefully interesting Saturday evening. Thank you, guys. Okay, that will do it for this second pay-per-view preview episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. If you haven't yet seen it, or even if you have, check out The Journey, a chronicle of the Charlo brothers' personal and professional lives, narrated by our friend Brian Custer, available on all Showtime digital and on-demand platforms. This Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, the official weigh-in. We'll stream live on the showtime sports youtube page and later that day we will be back on the podcast with a weigh in review and our final thoughts and our official predictions on all six fights that all builds up to saturday night at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific on showtime pay-per-view with a total of six fights all for one pay-per-view price of $74.95 uh, we will indeed be back then on friday but until then thanks so much for listening safe, be kind and be well.